This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. Welcome to the Recovery Revolution Live. My name is Carl, one of the co-hosts of this show, and you are joined by Brett Morris and Ashley Grimes. Welcome, everybody, to the show today. I hope everyone's having a good week so far. Ashley and I talked on the phone a little bit, and we had a lot of fun on the phone. So and And Ashley, congratulations on your award. I think that's so amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was, what it was for and, and what you're being recognized for? Um, well, I got three. One okay. was for being the lead for the student leadership advisory board. So um, we did like Kremer Speaks and we had um, two diversity events where we talked about um, communication in the workplace and awesome. why it was important to have inclusive conversations. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was a diversity, equity, and inclusion event as well. Um, awesome. with business leaders in the community. So okay. We did that. And then one was for just being on the student leadership advisory board. Um, and then the other one was for um, mentorship leadership track. So okay. I met with a mentor in the community once a month. Cool. My mentor was the best. Um, and that was that was what that was for. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. I think I saw it and it looks really nice. Like what they gave you and it's got your name on it and everything. It looks really cool. So congratulations. You do so much good work for the community. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Brett, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. I kind of feel like, uh, I kind of feel like one of those hot dogs on the gas station roller thing. (laughs) just kind of dried out and tired and sad right you know dried out tired and sad wow can i get a a, we're gonna have david on uh in in a little bit here guys and we're gonna talk about broken chains apparel um and i think david should make a a hot dog shirt that says dried (laughs) out tired and sad on it um (laughs) hashtag that tuesday yeah I was right. sad too. I was like a lot of work you? getting up from bed and like working. So I feel you, Brett. I'm here for you if you need to talk. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Man, I, I don't know. I was in bed today and I was like, man, I don't want to get out of bed. And I was sitting at work and, and today I got to, I went through all the files. And so I was auditing files for all the staff and going over notes and doing all of that. And I was like, but lunchtime rolled around and I was so exhausted. I, I don't know. I had carbs last night, so I'm wondering if that was it because my body isn't used to carbs. And so I had some sushi and it was amazing. And but like the next day it's like I don't know. It's weird. It's almost like some days I feel like when I eat carbs, it's almost like I've gone out and like drank a lot or something. And like the next day is like my recovery day where it's like, oh, we need to recover. I don't know. That's just me. The keto lifestyle. Sugar so, is definitely a drug. 
Yeah, no, sure. it really is. It really is. I love is. sugar. I'm diabetic and I shouldn't have sugar, but I do love it and it makes me feel yeah. like crap. And my camera just turned off for some reason. Brett. It's weird. I love that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Can you make a can you make Ashley and I one of those? I can try. That would be awesome. Why You're, is my camera not working? That's okay. That's we okay. Can see you now. Deep, deep breaths. Oh. Nope. Now we no, can. I'm, I'm fine. Um, yeah, you're good. We're all good here. We'll turn all our right, camera off with you if you'd like. Uh, that would that would be we'll, good for we'll my anxiety. The, yeah, we'll do the, we'll do the whole show no cameras. So, guys, right. we have a great show lined up for you guys today. Uh, we are going to have David Burns on uh, today talking about his contest from Broken Chains Apparel, and we also have T.J. Woodward coming on the show today, and he's going to be talking about his program, and he is the founder of Conscious Recovery which is a Bay Area group and it is now uh, kind of positioned itself and he's moved down to Southern California, um, but it originated in the San Francisco Bay Area here in California. And TJ is an amazing person. He has such a great following online and he also puts out such amazing content about finding your inner self and finding that light and learning how to love ourselves from within. So he's going to be coming on to the show today. Um, but you know, I just hope everybody's having a good day today. Uh, if you're tired, welcome. If you're not tired, welcome to, um, you know, we, we take all kinds on the show. So, all right. So, uh, Brett, are you ready? We can bring David in. Let's do it, man. Let's all do right. It. So Let's bring we're going to David Barnes from broken chains apparel. Welcome David. Hey guys. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, Always absolutely. To be here and Ashley, congratulations on your award. Very nice. Yeah. Appreciate what all you guys do. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely, man. So, David, can you know, I missed the episode where you guys announced this contest that you've been running. So, sure. can you give us a little bit of a backstory about Broken Chains Apparel? Um, what is the story behind the company? And then we can also jump into about the contest that you were running. Yeah, sure. So, Broken Chains Apparel kind of started... I originally started it as Abba Shirt Company, which was mm -hmm. going to be just a general faith-based company. But then I just really felt led to dig down deeper into something else. And mm -hmm. um, recovery is a thing for for me. My my daughter, I, I've got a daughter who's in recovery um, two years now, um, which is awesome. I'm very proud of her. Um, so, you know, that's it, kind of where I, I wanted to go. Um, trying to make this as short as I can. Um, you know, so I, I've always felt led to work with people who have been abused or addicted, you know, and stuff like that. So my wife and I work with, um, you know, children in, in, in care um, where we're at a children's home, um, actually there right now, to be honest, <laughs> um, working. But uh, so, you know, and then the, the addiction part all came with the, the shirts. Um, so most of my shirts are are geared towards people in recovery. I have some just mm -hmm. general faith-based stuff. Um, just sure. cause, you know, I, I identify as a, a Christian, um, mm -hmm. and do my best to, to live that way. Um, some days are harder than others, of course, but, yeah. um, so, you know, I just, I just wanted to be able to let people be proud of, of the recovery. Right. Um, it's just, uh, I, I think for so many, so many years and well, probably decades, um, you know, even if people were in recovery, they were still always looked at as, as the addict, right? They're, they're just 
they're they're just that addict or that that low life in society and you know all this but you know people don't realize what people in recovery actually go through the the battles they face and the demons they got to face every day whether it's a day in recovery or two years or 10 years you know um you know and i, I see my daughter go through it you know it's certain certain things that smell like certain things right that that trigger something um you know or a place she's been to that that triggers something so you know there's always something um so that's kind of the the backstory of, of broken chains apparel um in, in a nutshell <laughs> um but the contest so you know i said what better way to find a shirt that people would really want to wear in recovery yeah than to have people in your audience come up with some designs um you know obviously if they design it it's something they would wear so you know and if they would wear it i'm sure other people in recovery would wear it mm -hmm. um so you know we're, we're running this little contest and uh you know originally um people on here probably don't know but originally it was just going to be you know one design but there, there was quite a few good ones and, and uh we're going to actually be doing four winners tonight um, wow that's great. Yeah. So, so first place is going to get a twenty-five dollar uh, Amazon gift card, and then the other three uh, going to send them out a fifteen-dollar Amazon gift card each. But with that, you know, their design will be on the shirt. Um, their their name will be, you know, they will be listed as the the designer, the artist of, of that design um, in the product description. Um, we'll put them on our Instagram page, our Facebook page. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, and if, if they have a link to their artwork that they want to get out there, I'll, I'll put that in the product description as well and on our Instagram page and Facebook page, too. That's great. That's that's awesome, man. And and I love the idea of apparel because, you know, I'm, I'm in recovery myself. And, and when I go to to uh, different functions, we always get T-shirts from them. And I'm um, like the T-shirt I'm even wearing today. I'm, I'll show you guys. This was a T-shirt I got at Rayleigh's of all places yesterday and it like says it. humankind and it says be both so human and kind right That's cool. and it was for uh, a program called uh, leads which is law enforcement against um, uh, let's see leads um, so it's basically law enforcement against drug abuse or drug addiction and nice. uh, they were outside doing a thing for uh, kids who have suicidal ideation and also suffer from, you know, different um, drug abuse, uh, opiate abuse and stuff. And so I, I felt compelled to donate, you know, and the girl at the counter was like, man, and I saw the T-shirt and T-shirts in, in apparel are such a way to spread a message sure. and to identify ourselves within a group or identify with a cause or to identify just a feeling. And that's what I love about you know, apparel that has meaning behind it, not just a logo behind it, but it has a saying or it has meaning behind it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I've kind of always wanted my shirts. Some of them are pretty, I mean, they, they pretty much say what they say, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I kind of want them to be a conversation starter, right? Because that, that one conversation that, that you have with somebody, yeah, it, it's your recovery story, but it can be the start of their own story. Right. Right. So, you never know. I mean, just a, a simple shirt. I mean, you know, my, I, I've got a best friend. He's 
he's a big dude, man. I mean, he's a big, he wears like a four X or a five X. So he, mm-hmm. you know, whatever he wears, it, it's, it's big and bold. And, and some of the shirts <laughs> he wears are great conversation starters. And, and honestly, he gets to talk to people about, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, being a Christian and things like that. And, um, mm-hmm. it's just a great conversation starter. Right. So wow. there's all kinds out there. Um, yeah. and you know, the recovery world, it's, it, obviously it's growing, which is amazing. Um, that that's the way it should be. Right. Mm-hmm. More people in recovery than addiction. Um, and one, not a better way to, to have people do it with just wearing something and starting conversations with other people that are struggling with the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can I put a request in for two t-shirts or two types of t-shirts? Sure. Okay. So the first one is let's change the conversation. So mm. it made me think about it for Carl when he said he went to this event, law enforcement against addiction. So mm-hmm. if we reframe this and we say law enforcement for recovery or law mm-hmm. enforcement, you know, supporting recovery, that's mm-hmm. changing the narrative that people yeah. can recover. So they're not yeah. against, you know, addicts per se, sure. yeah. stigmatizing language. So that, so that opens up the conversation, you know, something like that, um, you know, could be a target. Um, yeah. Also, mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm in graduate school, business school. And last night after, you know, our last day of class for the semester, we have 10 days off. They went to, my class went to their wine room. Well, I didn't go to the wine room with the rest of my class because, you know, it's, I don't have a problem at bar, Mm -hmm. like per se, but it's so exhausting to have to explain why I'm not drinking. It's exhausting to have to like, you know, I work in construction. It's drinking is part of all these business functions. And, (laughs) you know, like it's, you know, I was talking, you know, today actually to JR and we were talking about how exhausting it is sometimes to just have to tell your story and why it's, Mm -hmm. why can't you just say, no, I don't drink or no, like, and and people just leave it at that. So maybe if we could find a t-shirt where it was like, you know, you know, I'm in recovery. No, (laughs) or like, yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, it, you know, you can save yourself that whole story. Somebody, you know, told me, well, just tell people you don't drink because it's a medical condition. I'm like, why should I have to lie? Right. And then also, why should I have to sit and tell my story for 20 minutes? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. All right. Um, Brett, do we have any uh, do we have any artwork uh, that we're going to be throwing up that we can show people? And so that David can announce our winners. I have all of the artwork ready. Sir. Oh, you have awesome. all of the artwork. Okay. Hopefully we're going to put it up in the right order. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to wait for him to describe it so I can put the oh, okay. one up. Okay. All right. So, all right, you ready? Should we, I'm should ready. we do this? All I'm right. Ready. I'm sure yeah. people are ready. Do we, need, so, do we need like a drum roll or something going Hey, first? do a drum roll. Go ahead. Um, yeah. I know I have one. Here we go. All right. So, the the first one, um, and, and I did this because it had the most votes online. Mm-hmm. Um, is the one, uh, break the change. You hold the keys by Lorna Vess. Um, yes, that one right there. Um, great design. Mm. The, the one thing is, well, I, I'll definitely have to be able to get that with a transparent background. Maybe, you know, it looks like it's pencil drawn. Um, but I'm sure they can get it to me in a digital format somehow where yeah. I can transfer it over, but I love the design. I, I like the, uh, you know, the message, um, cause it's true. You do hold the keys to your, to your recovery for sure. 
Yeah. Um, then the the next one, um, I'm a change. I'm changing the order up a little bit, Brett. <laughs> Sorry. The next one is going to be recovered together. The Phoenix from Randy Beard, I believe it is. Oh, um, cool. If Randy's okay, I would like to tone down a little bit of the verbiage. Um, I love the recover together up top. And maybe at the bottom, we just put break free from uh, addiction. Uh, so it's not just so so much verbiage on the shirt. Um, mm -hmm. you know. But the design is just truly amazing. I, I love the Phoenix. I, I love Phoenixes. I think they're just really cool, cool creatures. So I, I love it. It's, it's amazing. Um, then the next one, Brett, I, you know, I, would asked JR and Brett for some help on, on deciding some stuff mm -hmm. and read with Brett. I, I really do like this one. Um, it's from Chrissy, I, I Chrissy S I, I don't want to mispronounce the last name. It's make recovery, the new epidemic. And I love that. Mm. Um, that that's, that's just really cool. I, I just love, yeah. you know, the thought behind that. Um, cause man, how awesome would that be if that was, the epidemic, right? The new uh, pandemic. What's that? The new pandemic. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the last one I, I really like um, is Love Not Lust by David Bean. Mm -hmm. um, because there are addictions other than drugs, right? Um, yes. It can go for people uh, addicted to, you know, porn, addicted to sex, things like that, you know, any type of lustful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just love that design. So, you know, uh, it, look, it, it was really hard to choose. There was so many great designs. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, I, I just, I had to pick some, um, to me, they're all winners. They're all great designs. And, and maybe, you know, I, I can reach out to, to each person that submitted these and maybe we can work something out. Um, I, I would love to use, you know, all of them if possible, but I had to pick some winners and, and these were the winners um and again thank you to everybody who who submitted their designs um everybody that voted um really appreciate it um i will if the winners can contact me um via messenger or whatever um that would be great so we can get artwork and, and i can get all your info to get you the amazon gift cards things like that um and then just you know, we, we just got to take care of a couple legality things um, on, on the back end um, with, with the designs. Um, and, you know, I, I love JR's idea when we first announced this um, to make it an annual thing. And I, I think I think going forward, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to go ahead and yeah. make this an annual thing. Um, that's great. You know, how cool would it be, right, for wind up getting, I don't know, 25, 50 different designs every year, you know, to choose from. Yeah. Then it's going to be even harder, you know, then I'm then I'm really going to be going crazy and, you know, blowing Brett and JR's messenger up going, dude, I, I need help. I, I don't know which one to pick here. Right. And, and maybe yeah. it's based on votes. Right. Whoever gets the most votes will be the be the winner. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it's hard to do, you know, first time. So, you know, we we pulled through it. And uh, so that that's the deal. Those are the winners. And, cool. uh, um, you know, if they can just reach out to, to me on messenger, um, you can go through the. Broken Chains Apparel Facebook page or Instagram page to to reach me, and then we'll just uh, get together through there. 
Wow. That's great. And David, we, we really appreciate you doing this and, and we love partnering up with you and Broken yeah. Chains Apparel. And I think this has just been so much fun to sure. to watch the process and to, you know, collaborate with your team and and everything. So we, we really appreciate you coming on today, bud. Yeah. And congratulations. Yeah. Um, thank you for everything you guys are doing. You guys are amazing with all your different podcasts and the people you're reaching. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll keep seeing those, uh, those birthdays, you know, just continue to roll out. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, everybody who has entered, um, all the art was fantastic. Uh, we, there, there had to be winners, um, and congratulations to the people that did win. Um, but just keep on trying and we will have this as an annual thing, as David said. So we will let you know when the next contest is going to roll out and, uh, we'll be able to, uh, promote the heck out of that for you, David. And, uh, we'll be, we're sure to be seeing a lot more uh, entries uh, for the next one as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Tanya. Appreciate that. Thank you, David, Absolutely. for all you're doing. Thank you, guys. Yes. All right, I think David. The new all right. I've took I've took up enough time. Let, let's get the main the main man on here for the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Thank you, all David. Right. Thank all you, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. I needs to be. Let's make recovery the epidemic. Yes. Oh, for the show. Yeah. All right. Okay, guys. Well, uh, that was David from Broken Chains Apparel. And next we have coming in to the studio, TJ Woodward from Conscious Recovery. And uh, we're going to welcome him to the show right now. TJ, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, Carl. Hi, everyone. So, so grateful to be here. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so a little backstory. Uh, TJ was on my podcast. Um, it's about two or three months ago, I think it was. Sure, sounds um, good. Yeah, <laughs> and um, we talked about his uh, his company, uh, um, Conscious Recovery. And TJ is such an amazing speaker. Um, he does um, all sorts of uh, goods in the recovery community. He does treatment consulting. Um, he also does uh, speaking and training. He does recovery services. Um, he has written uh, multiple books. And his program, Conscious Recovery, focuses on how to find our inner um, our inner self and our inner being and learning how to love ourselves again and identifying things inside of ourselves that we can re-spark that flame so that we can move on to be progressive in the world. So, TJ, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the idea behind the Conscious Recovery um, program and what what it's all about? Absolutely. And I wanted to I want to start also by thanking Ashley for talking about the narrative and some of the commonly used mm. language and our perspective around recovery and about addiction, because that is a part of conscious recovery. And it's a part of something that I'm really passionate about. And I um, I've been in recovery a, a while now, almost 36 years. So it's been a while. And when I was early in recovery, I found myself at a point somewhere around 18 months or two years sober, I found myself suicidal and not really knowing what was happening within me and feeling very disconnected. And what had worked for me was um, building a support group, going to meetings, um, helping other people. And really I was pretty busy to tell you the truth. And there was a place where I reached a point where I recognized that all of the underlying issues that were actually driving my addiction 
were still not only were they present, but now without the numbing agent, if you will, or the drugs and the alcohol, which I was using to escape, I was left with these feelings and I was left with unresolved trauma. And that really was the beginning of conscious recovery because I met a woman who changed my life and she really helped me not only clear away and work through a lot of the trauma of my past and reconnect, but the most important thing was helping me, and as, as you said, helping me reconnect with my true nature. Because at a very early age, I disconnected from, from that and I came into the world, I was a very happy child and uh, life happened. I disconnected from myself. I decided at a very, very deep level that I was broken and damaged. And that was the, the beginning of a, the trajectory of my life that led me to all sorts of absurd behaviors to try to reconnect with my wholeness. So that's a really long way of, of introducing conscious recovery. That was not at all the nuts and bolts of it. But the <laughs> core principle is underneath all addictive behavior is an essential self that's whole and perfect. Wow, that's I, I I love this so much, and I, I even you and I talked in depth about this on 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 my show, and I was so excited to bring you on to this platform where you could talk to so many more people about conscious recovery, and I love the idea that we are exposing our true selves and that we are exposing the positive nature that is inherent with all of us. Um. So can you tell us a little bit about what that experience is like for somebody that's going through your program and what are some of the barriers that they might have to conquer initially coming into a program like Conscious Recoveries? Yeah. And so just to be clear, what Conscious Recovery is sort of in a tangible way, it's a book, it's a workbook, it's an online experience. And mm -hmm. mostly what it is, is it's a curriculum that is run at treatment programs throughout the United States. And I go in and I train the clinicians on the model. So if a person's new in recovery in one of these programs, in addition to all the other great therapy and um, support they're getting, they're also getting conscious recovery. And conscious recovery's foundational principle, as I said, is this idea that we're inherently whole and perfect and that we came in that way and that we were programmed through a series of events called living on planet Earth to believe that we are damaged or broken and shame being one of the deep root causes of addiction and disconnection and unresolved trauma. And so you asked what someone would expect going through conscious recovery. It really is an exploration of the infinite possibilities of not looking at ourselves as broken, but really becoming curious about what that where that place within us that it does still exist, it's whole and perfect. And for some people, there's a little bit of resistance. You asked about the barriers. Sometimes people have a resistance to the word perfect because they think what I'm talking about is this, you know, sort of the cultural norm of needing to look perfect. We're talking about an essential perfection that is at the root of every living being. And that perfection doesn't have anything to do with needing to look perfect, but it's about really getting in touch with that place of wholeness. And so then recovery isn't a destination, it's a remembering, it's a reconnecting with that true self, that unharmable place within each of us. Yeah, I, I really love that. Ashley, what do, what do you think? I see you over there nodding your head and and you got a big smile on your face. <laughs> oh, he's just speaking my language, you know, like shame, trauma. This is, yeah. this is I agree. 
I agree. <laughs> so, well, so love, TJ, I love, yeah. Well, go, I, go I love that Ashley that you're talking about the narrative, right? Because it's really fundamental to conscious recovery and there's a lot of awareness around it now. So a big focus is looking at what happened, right? And it's not not like what happened to cause this, but what happened mm -hmm. to create the core belief in our own brokenness. And then from that belief, there's a narrative, right? I'm damaged, I'm not good enough. Then, then we project that outward. The world isn't safe. The world will never give me what I need. And it's because in my experience, we've disconnected from that essential truth. And then we're looking to the world to, to give that to us. And that's where we end up in relationships that seem toxic, or we end up in work environments mm. that seem unfulfilling, because the true, um, true recovery is a turn is an, an inward motion to return back to our own wholeness. And then what is that narrative? What are those beliefs? You know, what's that? It's not just the voices, right? Because sometimes we hear about the voices in our head and where they're they're what they're saying. It's really more of an energy or a frequency. And shame is very, very much um, being very restricted. And, you know, then if I believe I'm broken, I'm going to act broken. And if I believe I'm unworthy, I'm going to choose relationships to confirm that core false belief. And so rather than focusing on behavior, conscious recovery begins to ask what is in the unconscious or the subconscious? What are those core mm -hmm. false beliefs? What is that vibration? How do we actually start to heal that? Because I'm interested in shifting the narrative from addiction treatment to addiction healing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, to recovery. Yeah. I mean, it's recovery is so amazing and it should be celebrated. And it's, I mean, the people in recovery that I've met that are truly in recovery and that, you know, it's, they're the best people I've ever met. They're way, I don't want to say better than anyone that's never struggled. That sounds really bad. But when you meet people that have been through hell and come back, like, and are still happy and, you know, fighting and wanting to show up, like, they're amazing people. It doesn't matter what they've done in the past. And let's celebrate that. That's, that's what I'm all about. Wow. I love that because, you know, I've met people who have had near death experiences and they come back from those near death experiences with a whole different perspective on life. And as you were talking, I was thinking those of us who have been through addiction in some way, we've had near death experiences. Some of us literally, right? Some of us have had overdoses and nearly died. But there's something that happens spiritually. And for me, you know, a lot of times we'll hear, here's a, here's a narrative that I'm ready to like totally no longer adhere to. And that is we have to hit bottom in order to get into recovery. We have to lose everything. But what I do see is that people who have a profound shift and really move into recovery on some level reach some kind of place of spiritual emptiness or inner emptiness. And there's this question either is this all there is? Or there's there's almost like a death or people walking around feeling dead and disconnected. And so when we get into recovery, it's like, wow, we really are given a second chance on life. And for many of us, that experience of that darkness creates so much gratitude and openness in life. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think that, that term rock bottom. What's your rock bottom compared to what's my rock bottom? What's compared to Brett's rock bottom, you know, and like, 
enabling and what is enabling, you know, if, so these terms that we use, they're not helping anybody because I've talked to parents that, you know, some people say you continue to pay someone's cell phone bill. That's enabling them to continue addiction. I've talked to parents that say they pay the cell phone bill because that's the only way they know their child's alive. They see that they're making calls. If they ever want help, they can pick up that phone. So they pay for that phone so that they know their child's alive. Is that enabling? Like, so it's listening to the person, why they're doing stuff. There's, you can't, you know, put these tight labels on everything. And, you know, when we open the words up, when we celebrate things, um, it just changes the story and the words around it. I'd much rather celebrate something than have negative language. Yeah, that that everything that we tell ourselves and that narrative that we're constantly reinforcing. I mean, I see it so often where, you know, the negative self-talk that we that we tell ourselves inside, it's so damaging because now we're reinforcing that we can't become something or we can't do something or, you know, the world is is a struggle and we're not going to be able to make it. And so if we are now flipping the script on ourselves and we're taking it and now we're reaffirming that, you know, through positive affirmations and we are the person that we create inside of ourselves and we, you know, we share that with the rest of the world. And so I think that, you know, this is a really important conversation to have and to understand. Mm. Yeah, and it, for me, it's all about curiosity. My my new sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek joke is that I'm studying to become a cop, curious, open, <laughs> and present, right? And if you imagine me being a cop, Ooh. believe me, it would not be it would not not be a fit. But being curious, <laughs> open, and present is a whole other story, right? Because I think sometimes, um, and and it makes sense to me that there's some rigidity sometimes around um, the recovery movement because I'll, I'll speak for myself when I was new in recovery. I found a life preserver and I wanted everyone to have this life preserver and I wanted them to have exactly the experience I had. But the issue for me was I thought the way that I got sober was the one and only way. And it, then I became rigid mm. about that. And sometimes I think some of what we've been talking about is important to be curious about. Um, I don't want to go into the rightness or the wrongness of it. I want to be curious about the power of words and what do words create. There was a something that was being copy and, copied and pasted um, in social media recently, and it it said, "Addiction is a lifelong struggle." And I just I wanted to really lean into that and be curious: what gets created when I believe that it's going to be a lifelong struggle, and is there a different possibility? Um, maybe yeah. it is a struggle for some people. And maybe that's not the only reality or the only possibility. And when we're returning to our true nature and reconnecting with that, we, we become um, infinite beings that, that have potential to do and, and experience what any other human on planet Earth, or maybe even more, like Ashley said, because, right, I've had this experience and I'm so grateful for life. So what if it didn't need to be a lifelong struggle, right? What if it wasn't an incurable disease? What if there's a different way to view addiction? And so that's really what I'm interested in with conscious recovery. I'm looking at that place within us that holds infinite 
potential, infinite possibility. And as we reconnect with that and we actually heal the trauma and the shame, mm -hmm. which can be a process, we can actually have a very different relationship with ourselves in the world. Yeah, I mean, and resiliency when you've been through. I mean, it's it's one of the things when you learn to ride a bike. Do you just start riding? No, like you fall off, but you get back up. And when the more times you have to get back up, it doesn't mean you end up being a worse rider in the long run. You maybe are a little bit tougher. You're able to handle things a little differently or you're able to help somebody else. Like that's one of the greatest parts of recovery for me is that there's people that identify with parts of my story that I can help. Like, and if I didn't go through those things and maybe they would never meet somebody with a story similar to theirs. And so that makes me grateful for some of the, the things that I've been through. And I think you're, you're right when you say like, you know, reframing, being curious and just being grateful. Yeah. And I, two things about that. One is uh, absolutely 100%. Those parts of my life that I once considered negative, um, that were really painful have become the greatest gift for me because like my own trauma, my own sexual trauma, for example, healing that and being in the process of healing that makes me more uniquely available to be present for someone else. I don't even have to share with them my story because it's an energy, right? I, I can hold a space for someone because I've done some of my own deeper healing. I can be present for the deeper healing of someone else. And the other thing that I wanted to share, I have a great bike riding story, Ashley, that I think is perfect for this. When I was learning to ride a bike, my, you know, of course I had training wheels, right? My dad was teaching me to ride my bike and he took one training wheel off and told me, that the other training wheel would still hold me up. And so I was actually riding the bike and sometimes I would lean on it. But the truth is I was riding without the training wheels because one training wheel actually wasn't holding me up. I didn't know I was riding the bike because I, but I believed the training wheel was helping me. So it was helping me. And then at some point he told me, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the training wheel actually isn't really doing much. Let's go ahead and take it off and then you can actually ride. And so I was learning to ride a bike with this idea of the training wheel. And there are so many layers of metaphor with that that I think apply to recovery. The idea that I can mm -hmm. do it actually creates the ability to do it. And maybe I can look at certain things as a training wheel, but the truth is we actually have everything within us that we need to, to recover. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that that is so, so awesome because, you know, to to actually take that leap of faith, but I, I totally understand where you're going with it and just to know that we can accomplish things and it's going to be scary at first, but if we can get past that fear and not let fear hold us back from our own potential, then we can achieve great things in the world. Yes. That is true. And I, I think about connection, right? Connection with others, connection with self as such a huge part of recovery. Because as I mentioned, I've identified in conscious recovery, we identify the three root causes of addiction as unresolved trauma, spiritual disconnection, and toxic shame. And so kind of leaning into the spiritual disconnection piece, 
sometimes people will hear that as like disconnecting from a higher power, which it can be part of that, but it's really about disconnecting from our true nature. Like we, we were talking about, I quit understanding or I lost the ability to understand my own wholeness and perfection. And I started believing the lie of my own brokenness. So all of my behavior stemmed from that. And so when we come into recovery, reconnecting is so important. And there's such a paradox because, you know, people will say you need to learn to love yourself before you can love others. And that sounds great, but it's also the other way around. I need to learn how to let people in, right? Learning how to connect with others and a support group is so important. And then when I do that, I also reconnect with myself. So it's both and not either or reconnecting with my true nature through, for me, through mindfulness and meditation and remembering that greater reality that's beyond anything that's ever happened to me. And at the same time, connecting with a supportive um, group is so vital, especially in early recovery. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talk about the human connection, TJ, and we talk about connection with others. So can you tell us a little bit about why connection is so important for us to have? Well, if if I think about what, what I mean by spiritual disconnection, and it obviously came out of my own story, I remember just feeling so empty. Um, my, my first spiritual teacher said, it's like we have our umbilical cord in our hand and we're trying to plug mm. into anyone or anything to get fed. And because I believed I was broken, as I said earlier, I'm then looking to the world to, to feel whole again. So mm-hmm. I'm looking to relationships to try to feel whole again. So when we talk about connection, sometimes we might hear it through that lens. Oh, I need to connect with the perfect person, the perfect relationship, the perfect job so that I can feel complete. There's a paradox in that it is part of it that we connect with other people, but the Mm -hmm. deeper connection is a connection with our true nature. And so if I can be part of a group or find individual relationships that are dedicated to creating a space to reconnecting with our true nature, then we can connect in community and it becomes even more amplified. So just connecting with another person isn't necessarily going to bring me the sense of wholeness that I'm seeking. But when I'm spending time reconnecting with my true nature and then I'm in community, it gets amplified and then we're supporting each other. And then we it becomes an energy or a frequency, as I said, where we move toward recovery and not we're no longer running from addiction. We're moving toward this idea of recovery, this life of connection, this life of wholeness. Yeah, I, 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 this, oh, I just love these conversations. Um, so Ashley, what, what do you think about, cause you made the comment that the opposite of addiction, addiction is connection. And I thank you, Brett. Thank you very much for that. Um, glad to see that you're still with us. Um, I'm still here. <laughs> but, um, but how do you feel about the connection portion with this, Ashley? See, I agree in a lot of ways. Um, cause you know, we were talking about shame earlier. And, um, so there's a lot of things like in my own life that, you know, I've been ashamed about or not, you know, thought were broken about me. And then, you know, I go and I say them, I've said them on this podcast. I've said them, you know, to board of directors and I've sent them in emails and I've, you know, talked about things I've struggled with. And, you know, you, you say these things and you like, I like get in the fetal position waiting for like, 
the judgment. Mm. And it's like, then you hear me too, or mm. I've been there too, or that's happened to me too. All these yeah. people that were, that didn't want to say that they've been there too, or they felt that way too, were able to have a place where they could say it because I took that risk and was willing to talk about something that, you know, in a way it was, you know, when he was saying me being disconnected from myself or me thinking I wasn't good enough, but being able to identify that in myself and be honest and vulnerable created connection. So even though it wasn't done, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it wasn't done for the connection value. It was just to be authentic it does create connection with others and with myself and it creates healing. Yeah. And that's, I, I love that so much because when we look at shame, there's two things about shame that come to mind. One is when we're living in the frequency of shame and brokenness, as I said, we're looking to the world to try to heal or fix that, but it doesn't really change it. Right. Even if I find like the perfect relationship, if I still feel broken, no amount of love or kindness is actually going to change anything. What you're speaking to, Ashley, that I think is so powerful is how do we work with shame? Shame lives in secrecy, right? We're not, we're not truth-telling. And so the way we work with shame is through vulnerability and authenticity. And when we create a safe space, and safe space is a term that's used in our culture a lot now, which usually means external safe space, which is important, even more than that, or in addition to that, that internal safety. And I think, Ashley, this is what you're speaking to. I take a risk. I tell you something about me. And when we've created safety there, I realize that's the healing of the shame. Um, a lot of times we'll hear people say, I feel ashamed because I did this. And what we really want to look at is the possibility that the shame actually created the behavior, not the other way around. And so if I feel broken, I act broken, and then I feel more shame. And that's the shame spiral. So we interrupt that by finding safe relationships, including the safe relationship with myself, where I can take a risk and be vulnerable. What happened, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing. And then as Ashley said, lo and behold, and this is one of the big groups in conscious recovery is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And we have a process where people get really vulnerable and authentic and they have a, a shared experience that they actually feel deeper connection even though our fear might be if i really let you know who and what i am you're going to leave me judge me use it against me but the truth is when i there's a safe place to actually share it we create deeper connection more safety and i think safety um, is an important first step in recovery external and in safety And I appreciate what Heather's saying. I'm reading this now. It's hard to find that person to open up to. And I think that can be true. And what I've experienced is, let me take a risk. Sometimes I have an idea that someone won't be available for me. And then I take a risk. I don't have to tell the biggest secret, right? I don't have to jump into like the biggest secret I have. But I can take a risk with a friend or take a risk with a colleague or take a risk with someone that I know, even a family member. And I say even because... Sometimes I think, you know, family has so many layers of, of trauma, but taking a little risk and letting someone see a deeper reality or something that is vulnerable or authentic 
and then just noticing what happens. I think life is an experiment. So taking a little risk can be a great way to start with that. I agree. Um, I, I think it's, you know, and the more risks you take, the more you will take, because I can tell you, it's, I don't know, it's been a year, six months, you know, I started with little things that I would, you know, and, and people accept it. And it's not people that you would expect to expect to accept some of this stuff. It's, you know, I go to school, you know, with people trying to get their MBAs and, you know, it's a hard type A crowd. And I talk about stuff that I'm uncomfortable with and people come and talk afterwards about stuff that they're uncomfortable with. And it just, you know, I've come to accept my imperfections a whole lot more and I'm a lot happier with myself because I talk about my imperfections. Um, no one's perfect. Yeah. And I love that because one other thing, just to kind of lean in even a little more deeply, when I start to take a risk and be more transparent or vulnerable, the trust that actually gets created is more with me than it even is with the other person, right? I can trust myself to take this risk. And what I have found is that as I start healing some of the underlying root causes, the core false beliefs, the belief in my own brokenness, as that gets healed, I start to vibrate at a different frequency and suddenly there are different people in my life and then it becomes the opposite of a shame spiral, right? Which is this vulnerability and connection spiral upward where it's, I took a risk. Maybe the person couldn't meet me. Maybe that's okay if someone couldn't really hold that. But I took the risk and I'm like, oh, wow, I can do this. And then I might have a different energy about myself. And then I'm attracted to a different person. You know, it's it, then it becomes this beautiful experiment of let me take a little risk and then see who else shows up in my life because I start to make different choices. I think a lot of times in our culture, we talk about attraction, right? I'm attracting this relationship. Game changer for me was when I heard someone say, actually more important is I'm attracted to it. I'm attracted to this relationship, to this job. And so then I'm empowering myself to make some different choices and I take a little risk and then I realize, oh, I can do this more. And then it feels like magic it feels like more and more supported people start to show up then. Absolutely. And that's, um, I, I just love the fact that, you know, we can take risks now and we can learn from them too, because sometimes it might not pay off, but we have to realize that, you know, I look at it as a learning process. Like, you know, I would rather aim for the sky and miss then aim for the gutter and succeed. And if that means that I need to take a risk and I need to aim way up here and I might not hit the mark, at least I'm still moving up in a forward motion because I'm very successful at aiming for the gutter and succeeding. I, you know, 17 years of a meth addiction proves that. But yeah. now, you know, like I said, I don't let fear hold me back from things that I want to do. And yeah. A big part of, of it, too, is really looking at the power of perception and perspective, right? I'm creating mm -hmm. the meaning that I'm attaching to the world. And so a lot of times we try to change the world, but the deeper work is let me change my point of view about the world. So 
if I believe I'm broken and the world is unsafe, I'm mm -hmm. going to see that everywhere. We call that confirmation bias now, right? Yeah. Or if you look at quantum mechanics, we now understand that the observer has an effect. And so if I believe, you know, we could say the world is a kind and loving place. If I believe that, can I find evidence to support it? If I say the world is brutal and hostile, can I find evidence to support that? Neither one is inherently right or wrong. It's more what experience do I want to have? And then I move from what do I want to attract to what do I want to offer? It's mm -hmm. not the law of attraction. It's the law of radiance. Let me have a different conclusion about myself and the world. And that's really some of the deeper work in conscious recovery. It's what is trapped in the unconscious or the subconscious? What would it take for me to start to heal that? And then the world seems to like line up to match my new decision or my new, mm -hmm. you know, again, this is confirmation bias, right? So I see what I believe I'm going to see, but only 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, I, it's so crazy. We're having this conversation right now because I, I just did an interview with a, a friend of ours, um, that does another podcast. And, uh, we were talking about the same thing, how we're using positive affirmations to create the world around us and how these affirmations and the way that we're doing this positive self-talk within ourselves is drawing things into our world that we weren't aware of because we weren't tuned into them prior to us wanting to be a part of them. That's right. And so it's like having that tuning fork and you bang it. And now the vibrations inside of us internally are now attracting other things of like nature. And, and I think that that's so wonderful. Yeah. And it's, it's pure science, right? Uh, frequency is a line. And so um, what I would add to that, because you said it, I think so beautifully, I become aware of something that was already there, right? So mm -hmm. sometimes I hear people talk about it and it's almost like magic, like, ooh, I'm going to I'm gonna change my vibration and mm. all of a sudden I'm going to start attracting all these more loving people. But the truth is like, they're always there, right. but I couldn't let it in. It's a great example. And this is a very you know rudimentary example is if I'm looking for a new car and I find a car that I like, all of a sudden I see them everywhere everywhere oh my gosh look at this tanya we're we're totally yeah. alone i was going to say the same thing <laughs> that's amazing i was going to use that example i love that and and yeah. I talk about one mind right and so i i see the car everywhere now we could say i manifested those cars most likely they were probably there but i mm -hmm. literally couldn't see them so if i am walking around in the world like some of my core bullet false false beliefs i'm not lovable i'm not worthy mm -hmm. i'm I am stupid. That was a big one. And so anything that was counter to that, I literally couldn't see. And as I started mm -hmm. to heal and expand, I started to recognize that there are different realities all around us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole really deeply here. It's, it's possible that all this is a hologram that we're creating based on our <laughs> perception. But at very least, we can say mm -hmm. that we create the meaning of the events of the world. The events of the world don't really create um, it's, it's really, it's the opposite. Most of us believe we come to a conclusion by gathering evidence, but in my experience, we actually gather evidence based on our conclusion. Mm -hmm. So if I conclude that the world is kind and loving, I will experience that. I'll find evidence to, to support that conclusion. Right. And this even goes back to, uh, the way that our mind works, because we only see a certain percentage of what is actually happening around us. 
And so when we're tuned in to certain things, that's what we're drawing into our field of vision, basically. Um, there was a show that I like to show the uh, it's the brain games and I like to show it at, at the rehabs because it really allows the clients to start using their brain and to start, you know, making those connections again. But one of the things that they did was awareness and situational awareness and how many things does your brain miss that are happening around you because you're just not tuned into it. Right. And so I, it's it's like you said, it's scientific and it's proven. Um, but we just need to be aware of it. Yeah, and we're now recognizing through brain science the neuroplasticity of the brain. And what does that, how is that important to the conversation of addiction? I think it's vitally important because if we tell someone you have a lifelong chronic illness, you are biologically and chemically different than other people, what does that create? What is that reality? We actually know now that that's not the whole truth, right? We even know that we can change DNA, that as we heal, mm -hmm. we literally change the DNA that we pass to the next generation. So yeah. really exciting time in the evolution of science. And to me, what I love about this time is science and spirituality are coming to really similar conclusions. And that is through the power of perspective, the way we see the world, quantum mechanics is showing us that. And we can say, well, it's genetic, but that's not the whole story because we know we right. can now change. We have the ability, the term getting stuck in a groove is actually doing something over and over and over again and creating a literal groove in our brain or a neural pathway. And we can change that. So a lot of times people say, well, we change that through new behavior. 100% true and in addition to that, the deeper reality, for me, it's a deeper reality is it's not just our changed behavior. It's really looking at what is trapped in the unconscious that's creating what we call reality. And as we start to change that, we literally start to rewire our brain. And then that's how we, we change the world. And so a very simple example of this is what are you feeding yourself with, right? Yeah. There's physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual what are you watching? What are you tuned into? What are you, what are you scrolling on in social media? I'm going to be doing a, a talk um, coming up soon about spiritual algorithm and how we can actually change the algorithm of our social media platforms based on what we focus on, mm -hmm. right? Am I watching the news every day? The news tends to focus on all the horrible things happening in the world. That's not the whole story. Yes, that's happening, but there is so much love happening as well. Yes. Well, I think that's, a great commerce. I was just going to ask you about social media. Actually, you you <laughs> jumped ahead, but I think that's a great like point to make because you know the the news and the media portrays addiction and substance use disorder a certain way, homelessness and a certain way. Then you know, like there's the joke in recovery that everybody in recovery is either either wrote a book or is going back to school, and <laughs> you know, I went back to school, so you know that confirmed it to me everybody either writes a book or goes back to school but there's millions of people in recovery that aren't going back to school aren't writing books and living great lives so you know like these things we tell ourselves and the things others tell us addiction isn't just homelessness it isn't just you know you lose everything and recovery isn't just all going back to school and writing books right i love that and and what we're really talking about here is 
what we focus on grows, right? And the narrative that we have about something creates more of it. And so like with social media, for example, it doesn't matter if I if I give it an angry face or a heart, I clicked mm -hmm. on it. I clicked on it, I'm going to get more of it. So if I'm against something and I focus on what I'm against, I will see more of it. That's literally true in the algorithm. And that's consciousness itself. So if I have a belief that addiction is this one certain thing, then I'm going to experience it that way. And then collectively, we come together and we have agreement around that. And then it gets solidified. And so mm -hmm. I think what, what we're talking about here, and I love, you can see I'm getting excited, Ashley, is changing the narrative and looking at different possibilities. Um, and I can't tell you, you know, I remember I, back when I worked full-time in treatment, I was in an Uber. I was going to my, my uh, treatment program to facilitate <laughs> groups. And I, the Uber driver said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I work in um, the behavioral health and addiction treatment field. And he said, yeah, homelessness is getting really bad in this city. Right. And so he automatically made the association and I felt a little bit like, you know, he took me to this bougie part of the city and dropped me off at this like luxury treatment program. And he probably was like scratching his head. Like, what, what are you talking about? Right. And so there are many facets to recovery. Let's just put it that way. And addiction. Well, it's so funny that you say that about the Uber driver, because I went to mobilize recovery and I had I don't know if it was like Uber. It was but it was one of the, you know. They drive you. So they drove me to the hotel. You know, they picked me up at the hotel at the Westgate and drove me to the airport. And like the driver's now on my LinkedIn. We're friends now. But I started talking about, you know, that I was there for a recovery conference, mobilized recovery. And he's like, I would have never thought that you were in recovery. He's like, really? He's like, I would have thought you were here for like a convention or, and I'm like, you know, so it's just, it's so, you know. What people think is just so crazy and just being able to it's great to be able to tell your story because it changes the narrative too that's right and that's goes back to how we start to shift the narrative is we start to have a different conversation with people right i start to focus on different things i i'm thinking about my my good friend jeremy miller um it's rehab road trips and they go to re they go to treatment programs and they record people having a different conversation about recovery because in his estimation, so much of the media that's even focused around treatment programs is like how horrible addiction is and how we can help. And of course, there's truth to that. But he wants to also be part of having a conversation about how awesome recovery is, about how amazing our lives can be, about how much love mm -hmm. we can have, about how we can heal our families. And he said that that conversation just isn't happening as much. And he wants to be a part of changing it. And I know many of us do now. Yeah. Sounds like somebody I want to meet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, guys, we're talking about the stigma that's behind addiction and how so many people associate homelessness and, you know, all the other things that get associated with that. Uh, we, we had a presentation at Duffy's and it was so great because our speaker threw up four pictures. Um, one was uh, a former first lady, Another one was a guy who was sitting in the street with a sign that says, uh, you know, homeless, uh, please help. Um, another one was this um, person sitting at a bar drinking. And uh, I forget what the fourth one was. But the idea around this was that he made the statement, how many of these are addicts or alcoholics? 
and everybody picked all of them except for the first lady. And the idea was that we were wrong because we are automatically associating that term and that word and the idea of that with all of these other people that we're seeing, homelessness, people coming out of bars, you know, and all of these things. But it's really not the case. Now, there is a lot of homeless people who are addicted to drugs. I'm not saying that, you know, all the homeless people out there are are not addicted. But we have to investigate more before we make an assumption. Yeah, 100%, right? And it, it has so many different faces. And I, you know, I think sometimes um, people who, if we assume, and, and a lot of it's unconscious, and it's, if you look how it's portrayed in the media, right, the media dictates so much of how we view the world. And yeah. uh, if someone thinks that the only way you can be a, an addict, right, or an alcoholic, with those labels, is to be homeless, and they're like the CEO of a company, then the, maybe it's not going to be as easy for them to say, oh, this might be an issue for me. And if we start changing the narrative from you don't have to lose everything to get into recovery, then we can like start meeting people where they're at and helping people. You know, the cliche is you can get off at any floor of the, of the elevator. You don't have to go to the very bottom floor. But for me, yeah. I think it's a little bit even more than that. What if rather than the narrative being, oh, my gosh, addiction is so horrible. I have to fix that. We could say recovery is so wonderful. This is a life that I want to choose. I want more connection. I want better relationships. And maybe then we'd start even shifting beyond the labels altogether, which is really what's happening in our culture anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, um, younger people are coming in and say, why do we need all these labels? And people in my generation are like, well, labels are very important, right? So <laughs> it's, it's an exciting time to like start throwing it up in the air and saying, huh, let's be curious about that. What are these labels creating? What are my ideas creating? What else is possible? And I think it's a great conversation about prevention too. I mean, so is just say no, that's prevention in, as far as society and what we think, but we never teach people about a plan B. What if you do try this? Like, do you have to go to the bottom floor before you can get help for it because you mm -hmm. can't ask for help because we're not taught to ask for help in our society. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just say no, or you go to the bottom floor. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't prevention be teaching a plan B? I mean, we've already learned that, you know, with sex education, not teaching protection doesn't prevent pregnancy. Right. It doesn't prevent diseases. So if we teach how to ask for help, before it becomes chaos, before it becomes the bottom floor, how many people would be prevent from being in full-blown active addiction? How much younger would we give people their lives back? Like, to me, that's the conversation that prevention should be. Yeah, and if we can have a conversation about the root causes rather than the behavior, then we mm -hmm. can really get somewhere, right? Because I don't know, Ashley, when I was in school and they told me, they, I saw all the movies. These these are old school, right? I was in school a long time ago. But they showed me all the different drugs and like what they did and just say no. I was like writing them down so I could try them when I got, you know, got my hands on them. <laughs> so like, I don't think just say no really actually works. But having a conversation about the underlying 
um, issues of what it's like for me as a teenager who started experimenting, what were those underlying issues? You know, I felt broken. I didn't feel good mm -hmm. in that. I didn't fit in with my friends. I felt like I was being judged. I don't feel like um, home life doesn't feel very safe for me, right? If we can start talking about those, then we're actually if we can evoke a conversation, if we can start having people talk instead of being talked to, right? We know that the, the educational model of lecturing doesn't work, especially with teenagers, right? Let's create a space and have a conversation. What's really going on? What are you actually feeling and experiencing? So then the conversation shifts from whether you should or shouldn't do drugs to like what's actually happening uh, and, you know, not everyone's going to connect. If I talk about what's really going on, maybe I don't need to numb out. It might not sound, it might not be that concrete in someone's mind, but 100% it's related. And that's going back to that vulnerability and authenticity and creating these spaces to have these conversations. That to me is what's really needed. Much less conversation about drugs and more about this, what's really happening in here. I agree. And what are you trying to escape from? And why? Why do you why do you want to be numb? Why do you not want to feel life? And you know, those are important conversations. And a lot of people don't think that conversations change things that but they do. They most definitely do. Mm -hmm. You might not be able to change your situation, but when you have a safe place to talk about your situation and you identify other people that have similar situations or they have situations where maybe completely different situations, but they feel just as square in a round hole as you do. Right. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel like you're not so square anymore right. and it does change the situation. So, yeah, that's I, I love the fact that this whole conversation is happening. Um, it's it's so important. And, and Tanya, I think you said it best. Brett, can you throw her comment back up there? Because that was so, so great. The kids need to learn that it's OK not to be OK. And we have to give them the space to talk about it. Because like Ashley said, if we don't start the conversation at a younger age, then we are not helping the problem at all. We're not educating them to talk about their feelings, to talk about how they're doing, and to feel safe and open enough to do so, let alone education about, you know, drugs and everything. I, you know, I, I don't know if I, well, I'm going to say it. I think the Just Say No program had a good idea behind it, but I don't necessarily think it was successful. Right. Um, you know, it just, it was like me. Yeah. Oh, just say no. Okay, sure. But I don't know why I'm saying no, because like TJ here, I'm like, damn, those sound pretty good. Maybe one day I'll be able to try some. And, um, you know, it just it just needs to have a conversation earlier. Or you and, say no how many times until right. somebody pressures you to say yes. And then and then you said yes. And life is over because I didn't say no, yeah, like right. life is not over because you didn't say no. Like, yeah. And, and it's, it's really interesting, right? Carl, you're saying like I, when I heard it, I was like, Ooh, that sounds appealing. So yeah. what's that about? Right. So the person sitting next to me might not have had that same response, 
right? Because I mean, you know, I was watching a movie about someone doing a certain drug and then jumping out of the second story window and crashing onto the ground. And I'm like, ooh, I want to try that. So what's really <laughs> going on, right? Something, something's there to be looked at. And I, yeah. I had no idea what it was at the time. I, 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 there's no way I could have articulated, well, this is my unresolved trauma and my shame. No, I was mm. 16 years old and I was in a lot of pain and didn't really know what to do with that and didn't really know where to take that. And I mm -hmm. was internalizing it all. And I was just believing in my own brokenness and I kept re-experiencing it. And then I kept trying to get people to like help me, like, please fix me th through this neediness. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I needed relief. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't really a place for me just to have these authentic conversations that didn't come right. from me until I was sober. And those were the conversations that were so healing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I be vulnerable and open here. Yeah, Philip, I, I think uh, you said it really well. And also, I want to acknowledge what Tanya wrote as, as well. Um, but if we make something forbidden, I'm the type of person like if you tell me you can't do that, I'm going to be like, hey, guess what? I'm going to. I'm going to fucking do it. Like it's right. just the bottom line, you know, I'm, I'm that type of person. And, and I think there's a lot of that that is inside of us that as soon as somebody tells us that we can't do something, we're like, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. So, um, you know, I think that that's, that's a really good comment there, Philip. Thank you very much for that one. And I think an important thing to note is that when you give someone the choice and you open it mm. up and you don't tell them, what's right and what's wrong and what you have to mm -hmm. do. People naturally want to make the decision that's best for themselves or that's right. the best decision. But right. when we tell them what the best decision is, then it, it changes it. So when, yeah. when you open back. it up and you give people the option to do the right thing or to make a choice, I think people naturally want mm -hmm. to make the choice that's, healthy and that makes them feel the best and we take that away from people well yeah and then it shows up it shows up in the shadow right because then yeah. if it's something that's bad or wrong there might be a part of me that it's even more seductive um and if we i love what you're saying actually because when we start talking about it through the lens of choice because i have this profound idea are you ready to hear my profound my profound this is my, my, my the most wisdom you'll ever hear Lay it on us. People don't change until they want to. <laughs> Whoa. Right? I, I never changed until I wanted to. But what we what I want to be curious about is how do I create a safe space? Like let's imagine clients, but we could say friends, anyone or myself. How do I create a safe enough space for me to start exploring what I really want? Mm -hmm. Right. Because what happens in a lot of the recovery models is we're like, you need to stop doing that and you need to stop and you're you're selfish, you're self-centered, you need to stop. Well, nothing could be truer but less useful, right? Because right. like there's a reason in conscious recovery, we call them brilliant strategies, right? Not coping mechanisms or defense strategies, brilliant strategies. And if we can get down to looking at all of it is trying to manage something. I know for myself, when I first used drugs, I felt connection for the first time. Of course I wanted more. Mm. Of course I wanted more. I felt like I was, again, as a pre-programmed human in mm. awe of the world, mesmerized by life. Oh, gosh. <sighs> right? Of course I wanted more of that. But, you know, the drug didn't keep doing that, obviously, or I wouldn't be sitting here on this show. But 
what we want to help someone get in touch with and what I want to invite for myself is what do I truly desire here? And when I can get in touch with that, then I can start dialoguing with the strategy. Well, hey, cocaine, is that really, are you really getting me what I desire? Mm. You know, hey, anger, hey, rage, is that really bringing me the connection I desire? And so we can start to help someone get in touch with what they really want rather than what they should, should be doing. Yeah. And you talked about um, really desiring something and, and that connection, uh, you know, for myself, even the desire to have that connection and feel the um, I almost felt like it was this this inner world that just opened up. If, if you've seen the movie Limitless, that's kind of how I felt when I first started, you know, using and doing drugs. And it was that feeling that I had gotten so used to and started putting the feeling away that I didn't believe that I could ever feel that way again, unless I was doing something like that. And it took so long for me to gain back the feeling and the trust that I can have experiences that are positive, that are nurturing, that are fantastic without the use of substances to help them or enhance them. And I've learned today that I don't need any of that to get a high. I get a high just from life. I get a high from I get a high from paying my bills. As <laughs> weird as that sounds, but it's true, right? Well, because when we have authentic connection, right? And and I don't want to I don't want to judge or um, I don't want to have any judgment around an mm-hmm. inauthentic connection through drugs. So I'll talk about myself. When I was on ecstasy, which was my drug of choice, I mm-hmm. loved everybody. The walls came down, but <laughs> I I thought I was having these deep and profound conversations, but I yeah. really wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. But I had the experience of connection and that's what I longed for. So then getting sober, I realized that having truly authentic connections without substance, oh, I really am getting what I desire. I'm, I'm being mm. heard. I'm being seen. And I'm witnessing another. You know, I, I, I got sober, like I said, at 20. And, you know, mm. some of the people that I got sober with, I'm still really good friends with. And we were young and we were so thirsty for life and we were craving connection and love and we were giving mm. that to each other. Yeah. And then to ourselves, and it created this profound experience that was so much better than drugs. I mean, I remember my 21st birthday, I was like, I don't care what anyone says, I'm going to a club on my 21st birthday. And I was there for like 20 minutes, and I didn't want to drink. I got sober 50 days before my 21st birthday. I didn't want to drink or use, but it wasn't it wasn't what I desired. You know, yeah. we ended up going to Denny's and hanging out all night and talking and connecting. And it was back in the day of smoking. So smoking and drinking coffee in, in the Denny's, that <laughs> was what I craved, not like being at, at a nightclub. So yeah. you know, that's where we start to, and then, you know, talk about reprogramming the brain. Wow. I want more of that. Not, I should be doing this, but I want more of that. And yeah. then that creates a whole new neuropathway and a whole new existence. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And also taking the shame element out too. I mean, that's, you know, when you can, you know, for me, I probably needed help six years before I got it, maybe eight years before I got it. But (laughs) I mean, in reality, if I hadn't, if I didn't have the shame about saying I need help or there was no, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I think I would have made that decision to get help a lot sooner. Right. Yeah. And imagine what would be different for, I, you know, I go back to our conversation about young people, 
you know, we're looking at what's happening in our culture around social media, around coming out of the pandemic. There are so many layers. Um, I can't imagine going through what I went through in junior high school and high school. And in addition to all of that, having apps that, of course, I don't even know what they are because the kids have apps that, you know, adults don't know, of course. <laughs> right. I'd be, I'd be old if I said if I had Facebook, <laughs> but, you know, the, this everything on display in such a profound way and what's really needed here. And, and if I imagine creating authentic connection with people at a much younger age, Ashley, and like thinking about like, what, what were the possibilities? I mean, I got sober really young, but I also overdosed and um, had some really intense, dark experiences in the, the last few years of my using. And not everyone comes out of it, right? We're, we're losing our young people. We're, using, we're losing a lot of people to suicide and drug, drug overdoses now. And that is the pandemic that's happening now. And in addition to that, I love that the re recovery can be a, an epidemic or a pandemic as well. And so allowing that conversation to be part of like what we're doing right now, someone might be listening and have a different possibility. I didn't know. I, I didn't know there was any other possibility. I was going to therapy every Wednesday and talking to my mm -hmm. therapist about my uh, communication issues. I didn't tell her I was doing all the drugs I was doing. I didn't tell her I didn't sleep for three days. I wasn't telling her any of that. But mm -hmm. I kept talking about wanting connection, but I didn't know there was a different way. When I saw this, this um, they had a, a show um, on the news the other day. And it was, so there's this, this high school, like Mary High School or, around here. And um, they have a podcast now for their school, um, men mental health and substance use, where they can talk about this stuff. Like the kids are running the show. And they're talking about bullying and they're talking about not feeling like they fit in. And it's like, I think about back in middle school, like when I was, you know, tried to be perfect and because middle school girls are mean, I'm sure middle school boys aren't that great either, but middle school girls are mean and they weren't necessarily mean to me, but I saw them be mean to others. So I had to make sure I didn't look like the ones they made fun of because like, I didn't want to be the brunt of, that meanness. So if we could have had those conversations back then about, hey, there's 10 people in a room and only two of them are bullies, like, and we don't care what you look like and you can, you can come hang out with us, other eight people, no matter what you look like and be accepted, then it, you know, those bullies don't exist because there's only two of them. Mm. And, you know, numbers, most people don't want to be mean. Yeah. And then we start to shift it, right? Because I look at it from a developmental standpoint, what's happening at that age, because 100%, that's the age for me that it got really brutal. I felt completely like an outcast. Everyone knew how to do life but me. I felt like everyone was bullying me, even though I'm sure they weren't. But I felt so damaged. And if we think about what's happening and developmentally, um, kids are becoming adults in that process and trying to differentiate. And if I feel broken, like I said before, I start acting broken. And it's much more because a lot of times we'll hear, well, if if that is modeled for them, then they become that. But it's so much deeper than that. It's all about an unhealed trauma. And if I'm 12 years old and I'm witnessing horrific trauma at home or my father is abusive or my mother is checked out on drugs, I, I need to do something with that, right? And so 
it's natural at that developmental age to project that outward. Um, and, and instead of making the bullies bad or wrong, if we could become curious about what's happening for them as well. So I love, Ashley, what you're saying, because it's true. I think at the root of, I know at the root of every human being is a desire to love and connect, but it gets distorted. Um, so people are using, this This might be a risk, and I want, I want to preface it by saying this might be a little provocative for some, mm -hmm. but even looking at being a bully as a brilliant strategy, that person is doing something with the pain. Right. Oh, and of course, I'm not saying it's okay to be a bully, but when we become curious about that behavior, wow, what would that be like to bring everyone together in a room and to acknowledge <laughs> I've been the bully and I've been the person bullied and what's really going on? Mm -hmm. And I think every person that is a bully, that's what happens. Is people that are abused become abusers. People that are bullied become bullies. I mean, that's why... Think of, have you ever seen moms groups, how mean they are to each other? Moms love kids. They love children. Like would, would people naturally, would moms naturally be mean to other moms that care about kids? If so, there's either something inside of those people that are being mean that they don't feel like they're good enough or they were picked on because they did something wrong and they've taken that out. And I mean, it just, you know, it gets bigger and bigger the longer it goes on. Right. But, you know, when we start asking questions and changing the narrative, you know, th this stuff could be solved just, you know, by being kind to each other. Well, and and questions. what I love about this, Ashley, is, is you're speaking to, I think, the deeper root, the deepest root of this. And, for all of us, regardless of being someone who identifies as a person who has addiction or a mental health issue, for all human beings, we, we do the best we can with the experiences we have. I, I firmly believe that, right? So and I noticed someone put the, the comment up that someone is channeling, channeling the pain, right? It is a coping mechanism and it is a strategy. And if each of us could pause and learn how, because to me, Learning how to feel what's present is the number one tool as a human being or a spiritual being that we can have. That's why when we, when I go into treatment programs and I offer conscious recovery, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not trained to heal trauma. That's not my scope of practice, right? We hear that a lot. I'm not suggesting that in treatment in someone that's four days sober that we dig into their traumatic past. What I am offering, though, is that if they start to experience or bring traumatic experiences to the surface, that if we can help them feel, if can you imagine if all of us would pause and feel what's present before posting something on social or before othering someone or before making another group wrong, literal wars would come to an end, right? Wars in, in the micro and the macro would come to an end because we would learn how to actually be present with ourselves without the reactive impulse. And so I think the greatest freedom that any of us can have is the freedom from the reactive impulse. And that involves learning how to be present with my emotions. To me, that's the greatest recovery yeah. tool, really what we provide in treatment for someone. I was able to sit with this for 60 seconds. I didn't die and I didn't run out of the room and I didn't use drugs. Yeah. 
I think that's awesome. You know, once you understand trauma, it's hard to be mad at anybody anymore because even seeing people burn down buildings, you start to understand why, because you understand trauma. Yeah. And it's, it's so easy. You know, I think sometimes people say, well, gosh, is Ashley saying it's okay to burn down a building? That's not what we're saying. We're saying we have compassion mm -hmm. for it and understanding. And then if we can meet that with curiosity rather than judgment, the whole world changes. When I move from judgment to curiosity, everything changes. And if we can do that with the people in our lives, and if we can do that in the recovery movement, let's move out of judgment and into curiosity, right? Sometimes we judge someone if they relapse, um, even if it's not conscious. Oh, you have to Instead of that, let's be curious. Let's be curious about what is actually happening. And as more and more of us are dedicated to doing that, we start to actually heal the planet. And I think that's what's wanted and needed. And I actually, in my experience, I think that the recovery movement is a big part of that because, you know, it's cliche to say this, but like people who suffer from addiction and suffer from addiction, we're almost forced to like, take on some some ways of living that are different than the way we've done it. We're almost like, okay, my whole life just fell apart. If I want to live, I'm going to try some of these spiritual principles or try a different way of living. So I think that maybe we've all chosen it to be part of the healing that's happening on the planet. At least that's the vision mm -hmm. I'm having. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Uh, Brett, how, Brett, how are you doing over there? You're so quiet tonight, man. I know, I know. I'm just on that, on that gas station roller, man. <laughs> I'm just hanging out, waiting on somebody. Just hanging to out, me. waiting Brett, on. I'm glad okay. you're here. Yeah, we're glad you're here, buddy. You, um, you, you were having some uh, webcam problems, Sarah. Did you get those fixed? I have no idea, man. My camera's been going in and out all whole night, <laughs> and then it'll just like randomly freeze, and I, it's like whatever. I don't, yeah. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I can uh, see Ta you. Yeah, we can That's see you. working right now. Yeah, Tanya, thank you for your comment. Love this live tonight. So, so, so good. I would have to agree with her. Tonight has been a, a special night on the live shows. So, TJ, can you tell us a little bit about what you have coming up uh, for Conscious Recovery and for yourself? Wow, I am speaking at a lot of conferences coming up. I, um, I'm always out in the world and creating content. I, I have the honor of uh, partnering with wholehearted.org. I'm going to go spend two weeks in the studio next week there in Sacramento. I'm creating new content uh, along with thought leaders like Gabor Mate, Brene Brown, Marianne Williamson. Such an honor. So we're going to be creating. I don't know what we're going to be creating, but one of the things that I'm dedicated to doing is, is, is providing some different possibilities. So the, the short answer, I guess mm -hmm. it's not that short, <laughs> but it's I'm going to be creating a narrative around some new possibilities. And that may come out as a video or a, a short mm. film or I'm actually I, I'm not I can't really give all the information yet, but mm -hmm. I'm going to be featured in a, a, a documentary series about addiction. There's a lot happening. So, wow. um, yeah, follow me on Instagram and you'll know more. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I want to talk a little bit about your Instagram because I, I follow you on Instagram ever since I had you on my show. And man, I love the content that you put out. Um, TJ puts out some of the most, uh, I think, inspirational content that I've seen um, in my circle of people I follow on Instagram. And if you guys would like 
a good positive message, something that um, sparks conversation within ourselves, something that is insightful into our inner being and that inner connection that we long for. Um, TJ's uh, Instagram is a great platform to start to hear some of the messages that he has to deliver. So where where can they go to find your platform and your Instagram? Well, obviously Instagram, but uh, what, what would your Instagram handle be? Sorry. Yeah. It's TJ Woodward <laughs> underscore. And there, there's a link on there to find out everything I'm doing, books, podcasts, interviews, yeah. um, all the conferences. But basically, I love being in this conversation, and this is what I'm up to. So I'm so incredibly grateful. Yeah. Thank you for that. Look at that instantly. Who did that? I love it. Brett, he is our, <laughs> our guru. Wait, <laughs> is it right? TJ Woodward underscore like that? That's it. Yeah. Oh, I, I love the underscore at the end. Uh, that's unique. I follow him too. Oh. <laughs> I don't have Instagram, so I don't, but oh. I'm sorry. I'm too well, he's, you're on YouTube also, right, TJ? YouTube? Yeah, all of it. What about Facebook? Yeah. I'm, my, as my kids say, I'm old, so I'm on Facebook. <laughs> oh, well, that's amazing. Yes, TJ Woodward author on Facebook. Yeah, or just Google yeah. You know, I, I have a unique name, so I'm, I'm very blessed to uh, have a unique name. There aren't very many of me out there. Easy to find. That's that's been true in the past too. I've been easy to find, and sometimes they have found me. But that's a story for a different show. <laughs> Is that Maybe that'll be, the be on the docu series. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Brett, do you have any questions for TJ, man? Oh, it looks like I'm frozen again. So that's, that's okay. Cool. It's a great I'm freeze for you. Yeah, that's it's a great it's, face. It's fantastic. Like My mouth is open, so you're lucky yeah. there. <laughs> oh man technical right. issues tonight this this too shall pass he's smiling though at least yeah. he's frozen this dude Yay. you're having so much fun over there i <laughs> <laughs> hey what what were the new what were the new sound effects that you have well um, i had i i pulled one specifically for you but you haven't done anything to justify the use of the sound effect. whoa I, I pulled this one for you okay <laughs> that would have been appropriate when he was talking about his bougie rehab that he it's went to true. in the uber yeah oh my I, I was, goodness i was really saving it for carl though i am bougie <laughs> i am so name. bougie yeah that's it's gonna stick with me someone's gotta do it yeah thank you thank you very much i appreciate that so <laughs> tj can you tell us what the bougie rehab was that you were working at in the city i'm just curious because well, i Pretty so, familiar with all of them. <laughs> well, I, wor I worked at that point, foundations. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. But my really bougie rehab that I've worked at many times is Altamira in Sausalito. And I love them. And I love the work <sighs> they're doing. It's where I started in 2008. And I've gone back. And I've done workshops and training mm. there. I love, I love what they're up to. Yeah. I love that. I love bougie rehabs. I, Duffy's was my most bougie rehab I've worked at so far. My bougie rehab <laughs> is where I was introduced to, to trauma therapy and they, oh. you know, they do brain mapping now and we got massages back then and equine therapy. And so, I mean, there's some good things about, I've been to both. So I can say that the bougie ones are a little more comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yes. I, the bougie rehabs are more comfortable. The yoga, personal chefs, it's meditation. It's yeah, I I have a sponsee that went through the Kaiser program at, at um, 
at one of uh, his his rehabs, and he was he was a repeat offender. So he went he was in rehab for six months out of the whole year, coming in twice, and Kaiser sent him the bill, and they spent five hundred thousand dollars on him for rehab, right? <laughs> Mine was over it's twenty grand crazy. for twenty eight days. So oh my gosh, that's so crazy! Twenty eight days, and that was five over five years ago. Is that like the Sandra Bullock movie, 28 Days Later? Was it like that rehab? No. No? There was oh. no rehab in that movie, was there? Yeah, 28 <laughs> Days Later. Oh. Or wait, yeah, no, 28 Days, not 28 Days Later. Yeah, 28, 28 Days, days um, yeah. Yeah. If no, you haven't know. seen 28 Days, this is my movie reference for the show. Okay. You have to go and watch it. The reenactment of the soap opera was fabulous. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a look. Never seen it. Me neither. Insert bougie Bing now, Brett. Oh, she's bougie. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Well, TJ, um, if people want to follow you, you, obviously you have lots of social media. Uh, we will be listing those social media links on our um, podcast along with the show description for the uh, YouTube that we're going to be posting. Um Ashley, do you have anything uh, that you want to add to the show? No, I mean, I think I need to steal Chrissy's line. So Mm. thank you, Chrissy, about making recovery the epidemic. Yes. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Brett, how about you, sir? That's a good one. Yeah. Um, hmm, I don't know if I do or not. I feel like kind of going back in the conversation, though, about... Mm -hmm like seeing people and not even knowing that they're in recovery. I, I had, I had something similar to that happen yesterday. I was at a, I was working in, in a kitchen and the owner saw my recovery tattoo and he said, he made some comment about like, Oh, you have some interesting ink. And I was like, yeah, thanks man. Just, you know, didn't think anything <laughs> of it. And then he's like, yeah, I got, I have 24 years. And I was like, Oh, you're talking about that tattoo. I was like, oh, that's, and then we had like this whole little side conversation about him being in recovery and stuff. And it was like, I would have never pictured the owner of, of this franchise that he started with a couple of locations as being somebody that's in long-term recovery. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I had a, kind of a similar story. Uh, in Monterey, we go to this crepe restaurant and um, it's down in, it's down in Monterey and oh, the crepes are amazing. Oh, I am. Uh, thank you. Um, are good. I'm, I'm with you. The I think he's the general manager, but he has one of the uh, the symbols on his on his calf, and he was wearing shorts. And I saw it, and so I I told the same thing. I said, "Oh, you've got that's a really cool tattoo," and so it sparked this whole conversation. And like your friend, you know, he had 20 plus years in recovery, and um, you know, and it just it's it's so crazy to to see things like that out in the public, you know, cause I, I don't know. I view the recovery community as my little circle and I feel like it's, it's small, but I know it's so much larger when I go out to larger events and million. you know, oh, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely million. amazing. Yeah. We have the Northern California uh, convention coming up for uh, the fellowship that I'm in uh, coming up in Santa Clara on the 18th, the weekend of the 18th. So Actually, that'll be the uh, the weekend of the fifteenth through the seventeenth. So that's Wait, always. Will we have one. fun? I'm not going. 
<laughs> well, if you were going, we would hope you had fun. But I we know, hope you'll be I having know. fun doing something else. <laughs> I gotta I gotta spend it with 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 my man. So Well, we hope you have fun. Yeah. Oh, we will. Yeah. Good, we always good. So we yeah. So we good. Will celebrate we'll te- whatever you're doing. Oh, always. I will send you food pictures. Um, I'm notorious for that. It's good food. <laughs> That's where the bouginess should come in. That little oh, thing. Have I, you ever I seen was, his food? No, I don't think I've ever sent TJ a picture of my Please food. Please do. Though. I love it. Okay. okay. I'll send you some food pictures. Hungry. Perfect. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was, I'm a trained chef. So like, I'm right. just like, yeah, sure. What do you want me to make? I'll make anything. It doesn't that. matter. Yeah, I worked on a cruise ship, girl. I didn't know that. Yeah, Norwegian Cruise Lines America. Oh, Norwegian too. That's like yeah, we were over in Hawaii. I cruised. I cruised the Hawaiian Islands like forty times or something. I don't know. No wonder you got used to the good life. Yeah, that's where my bouginess came in, girl. Didn't you know? No, (laughs) you learn something new every day. All right. Well, TJ, it's been fabulous having you on the show and really good to see you again. I am so happy that um, we made a connection uh, doing my podcast, and I'm so happy that you agreed to come on the show tonight. I want to thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. This has been so much fun. I could do this for hours, and we did. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much for having this platform. Well, we'll have to bring you back on as a repeat. A repeat I almost said a repeat, repeat offender. offender. Oh, as, as a repeat guest, um, <laughs> too. Hey, if to, this um, can be the new reframing of repeat offender, like I'm all for it. Yeah, Talk about reframing. Right. This is repeat offender right here. Yeah. Let's, hey, we should actually have a segment. We could have a segment called repeat offenders and we can bring past guests back onto the show and we can talk about, I don't know what we'd talk about, but we can talk about good stuff. It could be our favorite like guests. Like, like yeah, the our best favorite ones guests. that we've had can be the repeat offenders changing the whole yeah. label changing. of that. Changing, changing lives through broken chains of recovery. The new epidemic. The the new. <laughs> Let's throw it all the together. new epidemic. Yeah, we can throw it all together. <laughs> Brett, you're on the artwork. Thanks, buddy. Sure. Um, oh, you froze I'm again. Frozen. Yeah, I'm frozen. He's again. still frozen. Yeah. I was I'm like, man, again, Brett's I'm, really I'm giving here. me the cold shoulder tonight. No, I'm here. I'm moving around in real life. Yeah. Your what is your? Shut. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's not exactly. I'm a v- ventriloquist. Oh, you're a ventriloquist. I like that. Can we just call you Jim Henson? Sure. Okay. Are you guys having bad weather? No. Oh, oh. we had bad weather here today. It was so. it was hot here today. We got 95 degrees outside. It was 92 yesterday here. Yeah, that's crazy. TJ, what was it down in Southern California? Hot. Hot. <laughs> it was hot. It was very hot. Yes, <laughs> just I hot. I can't we do any California hot. jokes today. Yeah. I'm two against one. It was it was yeah. so hot. It was hot. Just hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Brett, uh, do you wanna, I'm, I'm still here. Okay. Do you want to uh, do you want to close the show out and make your announcement, sir? Hey, oh, there I'm you are. Back. Hey, hey, I'm back. All right. I would love to close out the show. All right. Awesome. I'm going to just jump over here to my default logo while I find stuff because I feel like everything's different. I miss one week and everything's different. Oh, I'm sorry. I moved things around in the order that they appear. Um, 
So right. we, we definitely want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Um, our, again, our guest has been TJ Woodward. And we uh, encourage you guys to go out and be productive in your communities. Find the inner spark within yourself so that you can grow to become a better person and identify the good person that you already are inside. Absolutely. And we have some breaking news. Breaking news. Uh oh. I found the cure. <laughs> hey um speaking of breaking news did you guys hear about the circus no it was all over the news today you didn't hear about it no no it was intense well, it's been be... a great a great night <laughs> ashley what's your joke i don't uh, have any go. i'm not funny go ashley go Nope. All right. No. Well, thank you to everyone that has watched us tonight. If you are watching us on YouTube, please remember to hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications so you know when we are going live. If you would like to send us a voice message, you can do so at speak to us slash RRL. And we're going to be using some of those voice messages for our new segment with ask the doc with doc marty so if that's something yes. that you are interested in please 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 send us your voice messages yes um do we have any other announcements because we the broken chains apparel t-shirt contest has ended i'm scrolling well, thank you david for coming on tonight and announcing the winners we are so grateful to have david and TJ Woodward, again, thank you very much for taking the time this evening and being with us. Um, it has definitely been an amazing night. Thank you so much. Such an honor. Absolutely. Bruce wants a joke, Ashley. Come on, Ashley. Bring bring it home, girl. I don't even know any. I'm lame. Um, I don't know. Mm. Ask ask Siri to tell us a joke. TJ, do you have a joke? I think life is funny enough. I have no jokes. Good, thank you. <laughs> uh, good answer. Good answer. And on that note, Brett. Yeah. Remember, guys, progress, not perfection. Not have a perfection. good night. We'll see you guys next Thursday. <laughs>